This is the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. Andy Payton is the lead pastor at Methodist Temple United Methodist Church in Evansville, Indiana. Randy Moore is associate pastor at Methodist Temple. Their goal is to see Christ in everything and everyone. I am Randy, and I'm sitting here with Andy, and uh, we're the pastors of this podcast. And um, I always find myself looking forward to this because it's at least 20 or 30 minutes while I'll be sitting down and relaxing and, and spending some time with a good friend. Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's an enjoyable experience where we can sit down and just have a conversation about what's going on within our lives and also think a little bit about what God's doing within our lives, too. Absolutely. And just for those of you who might be new to the podcast, just a really quick explanation of why we're here. Uh, we are pastors at Methodist Temple in Evansville, Indiana. Andy is the lead pastor. I'm associate pastor. And we've just decided that this is a nice way to process the sermon from last week and to look forward to the sermon that's coming this Sunday. And it just really helps those messages stick. We've said it before, but if you're hearing it for the first time, um, we're like you. Um, even when we preach, sometimes uh, the things that we preach about, they might be really, really good. We might even be proud of them, which is rare. We're so, you know, we're hard on ourselves in that regard. But uh, we might quickly let those just fade away and we and we move on. And this is a way to come back to it and reflect on the sermon, reflect on the message and let it sink a little bit more deeper uh, into our souls and then to get ready uh, for Sunday. And, and I just think that helps. So Pastor Andy, uh, for the last many weeks, has been in a sermon series on the 25 articles of religion uh, from the Methodist, for the Methodist, handed down uh, by John Wesley. And so this time, Andy, I think I'll let you just explain those just briefly because we're already, you know, we're 13 articles in. Yeah. Um, what the articles of religion are, the way we're using them really is, the way I'd explain it is they're a roadmap to our spiritual quest. Um, these are, they're antiquated. They sound old. The language is weird. They're like 500 years old, really, technically. And uh, what we're trying to do is go through them and find that which is timeless about them and what they can teach us about our own um, walk with God today. Okay, so we are up to Article 13, which is about the church. We're going to get to that in just a moment, but our habit is to just check in with each other and, and just to see the state of our souls. And more than that, what is it that's making our soul prosper or not this week? So as I thought about this question, Randy, uh, the story that came to my mind happened um, during our prayer time, my prayer time with my girls. Every night, typically what we'll do is we'll do a thumbs up. Is there something you'd like to pray about? And then the third question is, when did you when did you have a sense of God's presence within your life? And so I asked that to my girls every night. And uh, the other night they flipped it on me and they said, Dad, when did you sense God's presence in your life? And uh, the story that came to my mind happened one afternoon as I was walking out of the office. I was going through our garden area here outside of the church and uh, was just about ready to leave the garden area and go into the church parking lot. And I look up and the wind was kind of just blowing perfectly and the trees are all orange and beautiful. And the way I described it to my girls was it was like the trees were waving at me, <laughs> at which point the girls was like, well, I've had that happen to me too. And we had this wonderful spiritual conversation. And uh, what was cool about it was um, you could just see the wonder in their eyes. And and so, yeah, that was a real God moment, spiritual connection for me this week. And I mine is connected to that. I used to not 
like fall as much. And the reason why I didn't like fall as much is that I knew that winter was next and I don't like winter at all. The older I get, I start to realize why older people never liked uh, winter and often they escape it and go south. But then I finally decided, you know what? I love fall and I, I just need to be in the moment of fall and the changing of the seasons. And like you say, the the colors on the trees and, and the way that you can be aware of God's good creation through that. So my next thing is I'm going to have to I'm going to have to come to terms with winter, mm. you know, because it's going to come and it has its own blessings. I'll have to look a little bit harder for them uh, this winter to see them. But I think we're fortunate to live where we live in that we do get those four seasons and the mm -hmm. changing of the seasons are definitely something that can just sort of be tied into the cycle of life and, and the whole thing. And so that's been good for my soul to finally come to an appreciation that I'm going to allow myself to love fall for what it is, even though winter is, uh, is coming on quickly on the heels of that. Okay, uh, Article 13. Uh, from the 25 Articles of Religion for the Methodists. And this article concerns the church, and here's the description. The visible church of Christ is a congregation of faithful men, we could read people there, in which the pure word of God is preached and the sacraments duly administered according to Christ's ordinance in all those things that of necessity are requisite to the same. So, Pastor Andy, your sermon uh, dealt with this last week, and you started off making the observation that you can't imagine life uh, without the church because you grew up in the church. You're a third-generation uh, pastor, but not everyone had that same experience. Exactly. Um, just the paragraph alone invites the question that's kind of humming around our culture today, and that, that question, of course, is why church? why organized religion, why institutionalized religion. And certainly there is a lot that we need to wrestle with as the institution. We've done some things that are harmful. We need to admit it. And so from the get-go, from the get -go, I admitted that I grew up in the church and had a good experience really in many ways within the church, but then also wanted to acknowledge that that has not been the experience for a lot of folks. Um, there's a lot of skepticism, um, Another word that comes to my mind when I think about the church today is trauma. And uh, so we have a lot of healing to do when it comes to Christianity. The statistic is, of course, what, what it is. Uh, the Pew Research poll says 30% of folks uh, that are regular attenders go to worship one time per month. And so that's a regular attender in our culture today. And so uh, there's a lot of things happening within the life of institutionalized religion. It's not just isolated to Christianity, of course, but... Uh, and we're trying to come to terms with, well, what does it mean to be us? And so this whole paragraph invited a whole host of, uh, of questions and things that as clergy we're wrestling with. Yeah. And I lived that statistic and was sort of smacked in the face with it uh, in my first appointment at uh, Baker Chapel over in, in Warwick County. And of course, the same rule, it applies, it applies here to, to a degree. When I had to realize, when I looked at the role and I looked at, uh, we kept a record of attendance and I saw that every week. And then I actually, I don't know whether this was the, the thing to do, but we did it. I mean, I would recognize people quarterly and I called them the 100 percenters and we would just recognize them. And then uh, talking about coming to terms with things, I had to come to terms with the fact that, and I noticed this before I knew the statistic that, you know what, we've got regular people regular uh, attenders 
you know, folks that you would call regulars. But when you think about it, wait a minute, they're only, they're here once a month, but I know them. I relate to them. I feel like I have a friendship with them, but they're there once a month. When I grew up much as you did, now I'm not, my, my father, my mother, they weren't pastors, but they were churchgoers. And so I grew up much as you did going to church every Sunday. And that's what it meant to be a regular was to be there every Sunday. Mm-hmm. So not to, not to uh, be judgmental about that. I was happy to have those regulars that were there. You could count on mm-hmm. to be there 12 times a, sure. a year. And, um, but there are, uh, it's problematic in the sense that when you're trying to get every member in, in, into ministry and you're, you're trying to get uh, the work of the church done and you're trying to form relationships, it's harder to do when you're working, when you're working with that statistic. And so what do we do? What do we do to um, bring people in on a more, on a more regular basis? And uh, it's not easy. No, it's, well, we're having a reckoning right now. Um, I think there was an author, what was her name? Phyllis Tickle, who said, every 500 years or so, the church goes through a rummage sale. <laughs> so basically, we come to terms with who we are, and we start letting go of things that aren't working, and we hold on to the things that are working. And so if you do the math, the church has been around for about 2,000 years. Um, the, first five, first, uh, the first 500 at the end of that 500 years was when we came up with the creeds, Nicene Creed. We fast forward another 500 years to around the year 1000. That's when the church had the East-West split. No need to go into the history of that. But then you fast forward another 500 years. You're at the year 1500 now. That's the Protestant Reformation. And now you fast forward another 500 years. Uh, We're the year 2023 now, I'm pretty sure. And we're really in the middle of one of those rummage sales. And people are renegotiating what does it mean to be a part of a community of faith, the church especially. I mean, I can speak to the church. We're renegotiating what is it that constitutes a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? And so I'm going to say I'm not completely sure what that's going to look like. Um, I know it will look like Jesus in some ways. Um, Jesus, of course, is the foundation of Christianity. And so uh, with all that said, I find it exciting (laughs) to be a part of it. Um, and to be a part of this time of change where we're no longer maintaining, but we're searching about where the Spirit's going to lead us. And so going through this article and thinking about this article, about what it means to be the church, in some ways invited me um, to think through about what it means for me. It requires us to be faithful because God is in it. And, you know, when we hear people lament the fact, uh, the things that we've been talking about, lament the fact that church membership is down, I kind of try to remind them and myself that we live in such a blip of time that God's got this. Somehow God's got this and God's in it. In fact, Christianity is growing. It's not growing in the United States, but it's growing in the in the global south. And um, we might not be around for the next time when the churches are just, you know, absolutely full and the, you know, the, the spirit is just so obvious in the way it's moving. But you know, we're still called to trust and to be a part and to listen for God and God's guiding and wherever God's going, that's where where we need to be. So, yeah, it's these are these are interesting times. You uh, you did a Google search, and uh, your search was why do people avoid the church? And you found um, Andy Stanley on there, and most people will probably be familiar with uh, Andy Stanley uh, uh, from Atlanta with a big church down there. 
And you were, you know, you were impressed by uh, his list. And so I'll lead you through the list and I'll, and I'll let you um, amplify on it. Uh, number one, he said that uh, the number one reason why people avoid the church is that we tell people that the Bible is the basis for Christianity. Yeah, that, that first one, I admit, uh, can seem a little radical yeah. to some folks, especially people who've grown up within uh, Christianity and grown up within the church. And I probably should have been more sensitive to that in my sermon on Sunday morning, but uh, I have said over my years here at Methodist Temple that the number one reason I found that people leave the church is because of the way the Bible is read and interpreted. And so I feel like that continues to hold true and is echoed in, in uh, Stanley's statement. The bigger point here, of course, being uh, the basis of Christianity is not a book. The basis of Christianity is a person. It's Jesus. And I'll return to our Articles of Religion really quick. So we've been going through the Articles of Our Faith as Methodists. Now, um, the listeners, I'll just remind them, Article 1 is on the Trinity. Articles 2 and 3 are on Jesus. Article 4 is on the Holy Spirit. Article 5 is we finally get to the Bible. And I think there's some wisdom in the fact that it's laid out in that way. The people that wrote those articles, and then Wesley, who readopted them for the Methodist, understood that you have to have a lens first before you go to the book. Um, I think a lot of people think that the Bible should be Article 1, but it's really not. Christ really is Article 1. Jesus is Article 1. And once we have that lens down as Christians, then I think we're able to interpret the Scriptures in a, I'm going to use the phrase, healthy way. I was with you on that. Um, I was listening in the car. I wasn't in church on Sunday. We were out of town, but I was trying to listen to the sermon. It came in and out because we were traveling and uh, the Wi-Fi wasn't as strong or the signal wasn't as strong in some places as it was in others. But I was with you on that. But I thought, OK, I'm going to I'm going to press him on this a little bit because there would be there would be people even sitting in our own pews who would oh, go, sure. you who would go, whoa, 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 what, 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 oh, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, uh, but the way you explained it, I think people, you know, thinking people, serious people would realize, of course, Christianity is based on Jesus and our scriptures, our New Testament scriptures, and some would say even our Old Testament scriptures point to Jesus as. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's peppered throughout the New Testament for sure. Yeah. Uh, John chapter one, Jesus is the word of God made flesh. The writer of Hebrews says he's the author and perfecter of our faith. Even the Great Commission. Think about the Great Commission. What's it say? Jesus tells the disciples before he ascends to heaven, uh, go into all the world and teach them what I've taught you. Yeah. Right? And so it's the focus is clearly on the person of Jesus. He's the basis of the Christian faith. Um, I think I went as far to say no Jesus, no Christianity. There's no point to it. Um, and I think... The thing I've noticed, though, is this, like, when we as Christians are focused on Jesus, we can, we're able to somehow stay united. Yeah. And it brings us together. There's like a magnetism to a, a force that holds us together as a community. But when we get focused on some of the details and we get, the way I would describe it is we get bogged down within the book, mm -hmm. arguing over this passage or that passage, boy, it can turn toxic in a hurry. Just the fruit of what I've seen in my own life as a, as a pastor, I've seen again and again that Jesus truly is the basis and the hope of the future of Christianity and not necessarily a particular interpretation of the Bible.
And that is so freeing because anybody who's gotten into serious study of the Bible realizes that there are real contradictions. They don't have to be problematic, but they are on the surface. They appear to be problematic. And then there's not one, there's not one theology in the Bible. You can find many theologies in the Bible and you can find many Christianities uh, in that way. So it's freeing to know that we don't have to come to some sort of agreement on every detail that we find in the Bible, but we can agree that the Bible points to Jesus and uh, Jesus is the basis for the church. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and we can have room to agree to disagree on many things. Um, there's a lot of theologies that we as Christians don't agree on. There's a lot of interpretations of the scriptures and the applications of the scriptures, especially when it comes to social issues, we're not going to agree on. I'll even go as far as to say there's some theologies about Jesus we're not going to even all agree on. But as long as we stay focused on the presence of Christ, there's a uniting force in that. And I think it, it really does remind us what it means to call ourselves part of the Christian community. All right. Number two, we're talking about Andy Stanley and his reasons, five reasons why people avoid the church. Uh, number one was uh, that we tell people that the Bible is the basis for Christianity when Jesus is the basis for Christianity. Number two, then, suffering disproves the existence of God. That's the that's the big one of the big ones, one of the five for him, but a, a big one always has been. Oh, uh, without a doubt. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's it could argue, 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 arguably be number one as well on the list. Uh, and, and undoubtedly, that's a question that we struggle with. Any person is going to struggle with. How can we believe in a loving God and yet see so much evil in the world today and, and see so much pain and suffering and uh, bad things happening to good people? All these kinds of questions come into play. Uh, Andy Stanley tells the story of uh, New Testament theologian Bart Ehrman is his name. Brilliant mind. And the guy is he's so smart. But he basically, uh, the story goes, walked away from his faith because of this idea of, of suffering and how that, for him, disproved the existence of God. He became an atheist as a result of that experience. And, and I think we have to take this question seriously. We have to pay attention to it. Um, I don't claim to have it all figured out. It's a hard one. But as I look to, again, Jesus, what I find is a picture of a God that quite honestly, will protect us from nothing and yet sustain us through all things. And the reason I say that is I see it in Jesus's death and resurrection, which is the centerpiece, the foundation of the faith. Um, Jesus was, I'm pretty sure we can all agree, a fairly holy guy. <laughs> and uh, he ends up getting crucified and killed for it, basically. Uh, God did not protect him from the crucifixion, but God sustained him through it and rose him from the dead. And if that did not happen, of course, we wouldn't be here as a people of faith and call ourselves Christians today. Yeah, that is the answer to the question of suffering because, because Christ suffered. And uh, this, is in, this is in my prayer almost every time I'm with someone who's suffering or with someone who's in the last days of their life. I, I pray, thank you, God, thank you that we don't suffer alone, that because of Christ's suffering, we know that we don't suffer alone and we have that in common with Christ. And and I, I do. I, I believe that's the best answer. Um, you've recently lost your father and your father, I'm sure, suffered. Uh, my first wife died of cancer and I know she suffered. And the cross really helped me get through that. Yeah, it, it puts it in perspective. And you're right. Um, as we look to the God of Jesus, we realize that, well, God is suffering with us. 
literally suffering with us. And and as I watched my dad suffer from cancer, um, I trusted. I never doubted that God was wasn't with us. That it never crossed my mind throughout my dad's journey with cancer. Um, and I'm grateful for the faith that I have because of this, well, form of Christianity that I'm trying to practice. Uh, it helped me to know that God's love was with us. And I remember a moment and early on when my dad was first diagnosed, I, I looked at my mom just after uh, he had met with the oncologist and we heard that the news was not good. And I looked at my mom and I said, now our job is to allow God to love us through this mom. And I'm like, where did that come from? <laughs> and I think I've talked about it in the podcast before. And, and uh, it, it is grounded in this vision and this revelation of God of, that we see in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's number two. Number one was uh, number one reason why people avoid the church, according to Andy Stanley. We tell people that the Bible is the basis for Christianity. Number two, suffering disproves the existence of God. Number three, um, people have had a bad experience, and that's why they avoid the church. Yeah, to use Stanley's words, they were treated like a view rather than a you. And I that just, I think, really encapsulates a lot of what happens within religion in general. Um, people are tried people try to force other people in their box and in their understanding of God and their understanding of Christianity and uh, are made to feel inadequate sometimes, made to feel less than as a result. And so much damage has been done because of that, that a lot of people have left the church um, because of that trauma and because of the judgment and condemnation they've experienced. I know I've experienced that as a pastor, um, Sometimes I avoid, I'll tell the listener, sometimes I avoid telling people that I'm a pastor in certain circles because I just don't want to get into it. (laughs) I just don't want to get into a debate. I'm not here to debate um, with folks necessarily. And uh, it happens so quickly, though, they'll find out I'm a pastor and immediately they'll switch gears and want to make sure that I'm in their box. What do you believe about this? What do you believe about that? Are you a good pastor or a bad pastor by my estimation? By, by their estimation, and, and what's that, what constitutes a good pastor, bad pastor? A, a series of doctrines and theologies, right? Like, right. Um, and so, yeah, uh, that, that's by and large, I think, that the bad church experience that Stanley's talking about. Mm-hmm. Okay, that was number three. Number one, we tell people that the Bible is the basis for Christianity. Number two, suffering disproves the existence of God. Number three, they have had a bad experience. We come to number four. The church was bad at making them feel welcome. Yeah, we, we failed at hospitality. Um, and studies have shown, and people can, we've experienced this in other places, not just the church, but you walk into a business or some other place and the vibe is off, right? Like it's cold and people are talking to you and they're smug. Like you sit down at the table of a restaurant and the waitress doesn't come to see you or the waiter doesn't come to see you. Um, and then when they come to see you, their attitude's off. Like, you don't want to be there. And I think that can happen sometimes within within the worship, Christian worship especially. Um, I've heard stories where people have visited a congregation. They show up. No one seems to care that they're there. No one seems to talk to them. It seems cold. And, and they can't get out of there quickly enough. You know, they can't get out there any quicker as a result the way they were they were cheated, the vibe in the room. Even before they get to judge you on your view, they're judge- they're reading the room mm-hmm. in the first twenty seconds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
Uh, I think the st- some of the studies I've read is like within the first few minutes, a person will begin to discern whether or not they actually want to come back to a particular community just based upon, upon the vibe alone. Now, in terms of Christian worship, think about that. There's not been a song sang. There's not been a prayer prayed. I haven't preached anything. You haven't preached anything yet, Randy. Basically, it's just a, I'm going to call it the spiritual vibe in the room. If it's cold, I want to leave. If it's warm and welcoming, this is the kind of place I want to be a part of. And there's something spiritual going on in hospitality versus a lack of hospitality. Mm-hmm. Amen to that one. All right. And number five, uh, number five, just again, a quick review. We tell people that the Bible is the basis for Christianity was number one reason why people avoid the church. Two, suffering disproves the existence of God. Three, they've had a bad experience. Four, the church was bad at making them feel welcome. And number five, we've made the church into a building. Yeah. Um, we've we presented church in such a way that it's a place that we go. It's a it's a building, it's a structure, it's a, a place that we maintain and control. Um, but that's not church, biblically speaking. You want to go back to the Bible? That's not church, biblically speaking. Um, of course, the church is more of a, it's like a movement, really. It's a community. And so um, it's really not a, to use it, I guess, to think about this way. The problem is we've turned the church into an end, and it's really meant to be a means to an end. And so however we approach it makes all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so um, it's so attractive because we're looking for a place to settle. We are a settled people. We're mm-hmm. not really a people on the move anymore. We are a settled people, so we, it's kind of natural that we'll settle into our churches, and to a degree— that's a fine thing because that relationship building happens sometimes inside the walls of this church. But that's not the end, as you said. That's not the end of it. That's uh, that's kind of like the filling station a little bit. This is where we come to be filled up um, through friendship and, and relationships and through worship and through singing. And then, and then we go. We don't lose our identity here, but we go out from here with that in mind. We don't find ourselves just satisfied with this. This is church and you go home, go about your business and come back next Sunday. No, no, when we we should be changed. There should be some transformational aspect of what happens here that makes a difference out there to the, to the wider world. That's church out there. The church has left the building, uh, someone once said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it all has to do with what what's your ultimate goal, really. Um, the way we've presented Christianity in this podcast is the goal of Christianity is love. If you're going to grow in love, you have to grow in relationship with one another. You can't just go sit at home and pray individually to God and read your Bible by yourself and consume podcasts and sermons and all these other things. I mean, I want to be fair here. I think we can grow in a relationship with God in some of those through those channels. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But to truly grow into the vision of the faith as presented by Jesus means that we have to grow in our relationship with others. Yeah. There's a component that goes missing when we're not in that community aspect of um, living out our faith. Yeah, and I think that's what we're doing uh, to a degree with the podcast is to say whether it's our community or another community, community is where it's at. Mm-hmm. A loving community is where it's at and a community that is in action in the world. Yeah. And in this post-COVID world, this is something we're going to have to struggle with some more, I think. Um the tendency is you can digest a lot of church worship services via online. I mean, you listen to this sermon online, and that's a gift of COVID. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but 
the big hope is that it translates into a person joining a community and living out um, their discipleship within the context of a community. If it's not Methodist Temple, I mean, we're not here just to promote Methodist Temple necessarily. I would hope that um, the listeners would find somewhere uh, to connect and cultivate that relationship. Absolutely. Okay, so those were the five reasons uh, why people avoid the church. So then what should we be? And you said the first thing is we should be a gathering of faithful people called together for a common purpose. And we've already entered that territory a little bit, but here's the here's the first thing in terms of what we should be. Yeah, um, and in the sermon, I talk about what the Greek word for church is. It's ecclesia, which um, you break down the word ecclesia, it meant like uh, called out. It's a group of people called together for a common purpose. It's not a building again. It's a, it's a group of people that exist for a purpose. And now you apply that idea to the church and our common purpose is we're trying to grow in our faith, um, uh, especially we're trying to find our sense of God's presence within our lives. That's the big, of course, point of the church. Now, I'm going to go into some uh, science here for a moment and some biology for a moment. Uh, what social scientists and psychologists are telling us right now is that in terms of our development, we have to have one another. We're a communal people. Uh, I'll use an analogy. This time of year, it's fall we see geese flying in the sky, right? You don't see a goose flying alone. You see geese. Unless it's lost. Yeah, unless it's lost. Exactly. And they fly together. And uh, I think that's an expression of how we've all been designed, not just the birds that fly in the air, but as people, we're called to be together. And now you apply that to the church. We grow in our capacity to love and we grow in our capacity to learn about a relationship with God together. And uh, in COVID, after we closed down and opened up again, I really came to experience that firsthand because there was like three months that for us as a congregation, we were shut down. We weren't meeting together in person. And then all of a sudden we opened back up. I remember those first Sundays, there was like 20, 30 people there. And I felt like it was Easter Sunday. Mm -hmm. And why? Well, there's something spiritual that happens when we come together. Uh, beyond the words, beyond the, I guess, the styles of worship we use and those kinds of things, um, there's something very spiritual that happens when we gather as community. And uh, biologically, we're wired that way. And so it makes sense that we would say the church is a gathering of faithful people that are called together for that common purpose to grow and they're centering in God's presence. That's the way it's intended to work, but sometimes we uh, criticize and judge and and condemn. And you said that ain't church. <laughs> <laughs> I got a little preachy there for a moment, but it's true. Uh, if a person comes to church and they are basically there to watch the performance on the stage, as I, as I'll describe it, they're there to evaluate uh, the sermon and the type of worship and all those kinds of things. And not that that stuff's not important; it is. But if that's their primary reason for being there. They're there to, and then ultimately that leads them to complain and to criticize and judge and condemn people. They're in the building, but that's not church. That's just not it at all. Um, and they've missed the point. Okay, so that's the first thing we should be. We're a, a gathering of this community. The second thing is it's where the word of God is preached. And you're just breaking down the article right here in, in this section. Yeah. Uh, so the article says that a church is a gathering of faithful people. The second thing it says, uh, I think if I'm going to quote it exactly, it says where the pure word of God is preached. Um, but what's important for us to understand is that uh, when we use the phrase word of God, 
the way I'm interpreting that is it is applied to Jesus. Again, we're back to that Bible and the basis of Christianity conversation. Jesus uh, is the word of God made flesh. Jesus is that presence that holds us together. And so just to make the point again, when we gather together as a community of faith, we're opening ourselves to the presence of Christ. At the center of Christianity is the notion that uh, Jesus is risen. He's now with God. God's with us. Therefore, Christ is with us too. And so when we gather together, whether it be through committees, through worship, uh, through Bible studies or prayer groups, the fundamental reason we're gathering is to open ourselves to the presence of Christ. And here's the thing about this. A presence is not the same as an idea. A presence is not the same as a doctrine. A presence is a someone, is a someone. And so there's going to be differences of understanding, differences of application. We, we can have some very, very real disagreements. And yet, if we continue to open ourselves to that someone, that becomes the glue that holds us together as a community. You illustrated this point with a story, not a story of your own, but a story from a book called The Holy Calling by Ronald Rollheiser. Yeah, Rollheiser is a, I think he's a Catholic, actually. Oh. <laughs> yeah, the Catholic theologian who, um, it's a wonderful little book, but he uses the analogy. He makes up a person, he calls her Betsy. And uh, he says, Betsy has the heart the size of a grand, of the Grand Canyon. Uh, she has empathy for everyone and everything. She's loving, she's kind, she's gracious. And this person he calls Betsy one day decides to have a party. And of course, a person with a heart like this is going to have a lot of friends um, from a lot of different backgrounds. And Rollheiser says, everyone and their mother shows up to Betsy's party. There's uh, men, women, children, black, white, um, straight, trans, gay, all, all, the, all across the board. Uh, and then you can even go on the political spectrum. I think we should probably say something about that right now, too. Yeah. Republicans and Democrats, uh, pro-life, pro-choice, all this mm-hmm. is at Betsy's party. And, of course, there will be some tension in the room because these folks aren't used to being together. And yet, because Betsy's there, they're able to tolerate one another. And I would even argue if they stay together long enough, they might even learn to appreciate one another, too. And so, of course, it's an analogy, and an illustration for what it means to be the church. Uh, we, the church, believe Christ is with us. And if we're aware of that presence, we revere that presence, we're able to uh, stay together. But the moment, and the church is, this is where we're guilty. Just call it what it is. The moment we take our eyes off that presence, things begin to fall apart and the divisions become very real. And as a United Methodist pastor, I think there's no way to sidestep this reality, that kind of division is on full display within our denomination. Um, you have people who say they're right and tell and say the other group is wrong. And uh, we've split the church and our denomination as a result of that. And I'm just going to say it straight up. What a waste of time. It's so unfortunate. And uh, the goal of the church is to bridge the divisions, not to create them. Yeah. I think a lot of people are celebrating the division because the fighting is over, and I get that, and I'm sure that that does feel good, that we're not in a fight anymore, but I don't think we should ever be happy that we split in the first, are splitting in the first place. No, no, we we should not celebrate. We should not. Um, We are weaker as an institution because we have chosen not to do ministry together, and now 
maybe that's the best best path forward. Maybe this was the only answer. And I, I'm one of those people that truly believe uh, we as United Methodists have got it wrong in some ways when it comes to inclusion within the life of the church. We've got it wrong. But even then, I, I longed, I, and I still long. I, I long to be a part of a, of a movement that's seeking to move past the differences. I, I see our calling as trying to, to find that place to that spiritual presence that unites us all. I, I, it's just so necessary right now in our world. And if the church can't get it right, if we can't figure it out, I mean, <laughs> I'm not trying to be political in any way, but. <laughs> We're not doing very good at this right now. And and so if we can't get it right, then who's going to get it right becomes my question. Yeah. And I think we can be hopeful that we will come back together at some yeah. point. It's happened in the history of the church before and in the history of denominations. And once again, we live in a very small, you know, blip of time. And uh, not that we should be, you know, satisfied that it'll happen someday, but maybe we should work toward that even, even today. But you know, if God is going to have his way, God's way, and and uh, then then God's going to bring it all back together in, in God's in God's time. I think we've got to hold out hope that 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 will happen, even as we mourn uh, this, you know, great loss. Yeah, and it is a mourning. It's a grieving too. I I miss some of my friends. Yeah, that I yes, I disagreed with them, but I still miss them. You know, and and anyway, there's no real winner here. Um, there's just no real winner. So anyway, it's, yeah, this idea of the word of God being Jesus and Jesus being a presence is something I believe as we look forward as a, as a denomination, as a movement, we need to continue to emphasize it's about a presence, which is more than an idea, an ideology, a doctrine, it's a presence. Okay, we could go on 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 that, but let's just move on to the third part of what we really ought to be. And um, in the last part of this article, uh, the church is where the sacraments are administered. Yeah, so just to be fair to the article, it's talking about baptism and Holy Communion. That's what the article is really talking about. But I take some liberties with it because down the road we're going to talk about the sacraments of baptism and Holy Communion as the Articles of Religion series evolves. And so... Uh, basically, what I invited people to understand is that to be the church is to see ourselves uh, sacramentally. And so the definition of a sacrament is is an outward invisible sign of an invisible grace. It's an outward invisible way that we are reminded of God's presence and love and experience that presence and love within our lives. And so with that understanding in mind, that's what we're called to be, right? Like this body of mine, that body of yours, Randy, like we're called to go out into the world to be reminders of God's love. And so we come together as a community to be reminded of Christ's love, but then we're sent out into the world uh, to remind other people of that love, which quite simply is Jesus's basic mission as we look at the Gospels. It's reflected, I, I noted in the Lord's Prayer, he comes to bring the things of heaven to earth. He's bringing God to earth. And so in many ways, uh, in I think we find our own mission there. Um, we're called to bring God's presence to wherever it needs to be. I like to remind people that when we receive communion, that that is a sacrament. And I say, but you know what? While the meals that we have, the three meals that we uh, enjoy, most of us uh, every day, while they're not sacraments, they are sacramental. Mm -hmm. They are signs of what you're talking about right mm -hmm. there. The 
I mean, how important are the meals that we have or how, how important should they be? Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're on the run and they're strictly for the, the nourishment or lack of nourishment that you get with, from that meal. But the best meals are the meals that we have with people that we love and sit down with and spend time with. And it's about so much more than the food. It comes right back to what we've been talking about, the relationships that happen around a plate of food. Yeah. Um, well, as you were talking, the, there was a quote from, I think it was Augustine who said, give them Holy Communion until they realize that's what they are. You, yeah. give, you give them the body, you share the cup until they realize, hey, that's what you are. You are the body of Christ. You are called to be a reminder of God's presence and love. And anytime people come together in life and love is shared, if God is love, as the Bible says, <laughs> God is there, right? And so we're building spiritual connection. All right, you ended and uh, with a story, another good uh, illustration that really came from uh, G.K. Chesterton, and I'll let you end uh, by relating that story again, and then we'll talk briefly about Article Number Fourteen. Okay, uh, so Chesterton is a big voice within the life of Christianity in the past century or so. I think he lived in the the first part of the twentieth century. Really, was when he was pretty pretty big as a as an author and as a leader. But he he shares a parable. I think that illustrates what it means to be the church. And the story goes, there was a business person that did not take the spiritual journey seriously. And this business person, of course, ends up dying and then goes to hell. And uh, it wasn't long before uh, the business person has some associates that are missing him. And so they go down to the gates of hell and they knock on the gates and they say, hey, Satan, let me in. We really miss our friend. He helped us make a lot of money. Can you let him out? Nothing happens. Uh, next, I think it was the uh, the business person's pastor who goes down to the gates of hell and says, hey, we really miss him. Um, he wasn't that bad. Give him some time to mature. He'll get it. Uh, let him out. And uh, the gates of hell don't open. And finally, I think it was the business person's mother who goes down to the gates of hell. And she doesn't knock or anything. She just says, let me in. And the gates swing open and the, the mother walks in to hell to go find her son. And there you find the mission of the church. And really, what I would call the difference between churchianity and Christianity, churchianity says, uh, like those first two people in the story, hey, come and be like us. Join us. Become like us in our club and our group. But Christianity says, I'm going to go to you. I'm going to enter your suffering, your pain, your life. Um, it's not about you becoming like me, it's about me being with you. And it's that basic pivot that we find the difference between um, institution versus Christianity as a movement. Mm -hmm. Churchianity versus Christianity. Very good. That one will stick with me uh, for a while. Okay. Uh, as we wrap this up, a little preview of this Sunday, Article 14 of Purgatory. The Romish, or Ramish, I'm not sure exactly how that's pronounced, but the Romish doctrine concerning purgatory, pardon, worshiping, and adoration, as well as images as of relics, and also invocation of saints is a fond thing, vainly invented, and grounded upon no warrant of Scripture, but repugnant to the Word of God. Ouch. Yes. Uh, um, <laughs> so this is one of those, this is in, in the Articles of Religion, this is where, if you look in the Book of Discipline, underneath it, there's like, I'm going to call it what it is. There's an apology. Um, <laughs> and because basically it says um, this was written in the 1500s. 
And that was a time in which the Protestant Reformation was just getting started. Of course, we don't believe this about our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters in Christ today. Right. And so what this does do, though, this article points to a division within the life of the church that existed 500 years ago. And uh, I'm going to try to unpack that division and, and talk about the theologies that grew out of that division and then how they um, play into Christianity today. But the big point I'm going to make in my sermon this upcoming Sunday is this. The God that we choose to worship inevitably determines the type of person and community that we become. And we see that playing out again and again and again throughout the history of Christianity. All right, Pastor Andy, a nice preview for your sermon this Sunday on this 14th article of religion out of the 25 of purgatory. All right, well, that's going to do it for this week, and we so much appreciate the fact that you've listened. Uh, tell your friends about our podcast, and I hope that... Uh, you know that you, you know that you've gotten something out of this, and um, we, we really would love to see you uh, in church if if you're so moved. Um, we want you to know that you're invited, um, either in person or or online, and we just want you to have a good week. And hopefully, uh, you'll be listening in again next week. This has been the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. You are welcome to join us at Methodist Temple in person or online. Methodist Temple is at 2109 Lincoln Avenue in Evansville, Indiana. Our traditional Sunday morning worship service is at 830 with our contemporary service at 11. Log on to our website at methodisttemple.church. We see Christ in you.